Welcome to Beyond Dollars and Cents. This is Holland Henderson, financial advisor with Allen & Company, and this is the Risk and Reward Podcast. Today, we have a very special guest, Mr. Fred Kaler. How are you doing today? I am wonderful. Yeah? Yes, yes. It's a good day uh, to be in the studio recording. Th- thank you for being here. I very much appreciate it. So, as we start all podcasts, who are you and what do you do? Uh you know, I like to tell people that I'm a fisherman because that like <laughs> tends to throw them off a little bit. And then the expectations are so low from there that I can follow up with what I actually do and nobody's disappointed. Absolutely. And <laughs> and the waiters, right? Like just the fact that you're wearing waiters. I'm just joking. <laughs> the Gordon's fisherman. Yes. yes. Well, do you think that would be the probably the most popular fisherman that's, I mean, maybe the disciples, Jesus's disciples, that would be up there. I, I think it'd be a yeah, it'd be a coin toss between yeah. them. Between <laughs> the Gordon's fishermen and the disciples? Yes. Yeah. Perfect. Well yeah. one walked away a little bit earlier than the other, right? Like as far as just walking away from fishing. <laughs> exactly. But uh so no, my name is Fred Kaler and uh what I do, goodness, is um, a, a lot of different stuff, but uh, my background is as a working artist. So the best way to say it is I've been a working artist my entire career um, and a storyteller as well. So I uh, I worked in I worked for Publix Corporate uh, for a number of years as a graphic designer. I uh, picked up copywriting, art direction, gra- uh, a creative direction, kind of through mentorship there. I owned an advertising agency for a number of years, but all, all the while my passion has always been in the printed word in in story and so you know i was always writing novels i was always coming up with book ideas and so over the course of you know of my career i have just always kept sort of my toes in the publishing industry until about probably 12 years ago now when i got my very first uh my very first book deal that turned into two books that turned into eight books that you know is now is now a a mini career of its own in the publishing world so whenever you use the term artist, are you using that from a general sense, or are you saying I was I drew stuff and then it and, you know came back into writing? Yeah, and that's a that's a great question. So uh, my <clears throat> first love was novels, and still is is novels. Um, however, I couldn't break into the industry when I would write novels. People would you know read my stuff and they'd be like, eh, it's just it's not there yet. It's just, you're not ready for this. And so I actually broke in by doing the illustration work. And so, <clears throat> cough, cough. Uh, <laughs> no, so uh, my, my entree into the publishing industry was when I started putting pictures next to the words. And that really came from my background in advertising because that's what you do in advertising is you put a picture next to a word and it makes a third thing. So it tells a different story by the way you juxtapose the pictures uh, against the words. So by doing that, I was able to break into the children's publishing industry as a writer slash illustrator, and then everything uh, kind of uh, led from there into now being able to do novels. Did they just kind of move in seamlessly together like that, or did one kind of lead as far as illustration and writing? Did it was it just kind of a simultaneous move? That's that's a good question. Um, so my so I sold two books as a writer illustrator, and then I want to say my next five were where I was just the illustrator. So uh, they liked the they liked the my art style enough that you know I could get hired just to do the the drawings. And then uh, through all of that, I guess I just you know elevated my craft enough in both areas where I was able to start uh, getting novels published as well. So was was there any type anything in your early or formative years that kind of brought this? 
artistic nature to the surface, this this desire to write, desire to draw. I mean, was it therapeutic? Yeah, I mean, I, I was the youngest uh, cub reporter at the uh, at the let's see here the Highlands Today newspaper in Sebring, <laughs> Florida. So I walked in at at 16 years old and asked them if I could do an internship there. You know, and they would send me to uh, take pictures of the, you know, of the dogs that were available for adoption. How old at, were you? At 16. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, I'd, I'd go out and take photos of, of, you know, the SPCA dogs, and then I'd get the police blotter, and I'd, you know, turn, <laughs> like, I'd write up all the people who got arrested the night before. And and seeing my name with a byline in the newspaper at 16, like, can you, my, my little ego was just so inflated <laughs> at that point that I was like, I'm not, I'm not going back. I want. I want to work in this industry forever. So, what? Uh, why did you kind of break out of news and go more towards writing books and children's books? Yeah, I, news. You're typically telling other people's stories, and I just felt like I always had my own stories to tell as well. And uh, so, in even advertising, you know, working in the advertising industry, you're helping companies tell their story. Um, so, I'm just learning tools and tips and tricks all along. And, and at some point, it's like, man, I think, I think I've got interesting stories to tell as well. So, <clears throat> the reason why I wanted to have you on the podcast was really to talk about um, your business, Ready Chapter One. So, tell us about it. What is it? What does it do? Yep. So, Ready Chapter One, we're calling it a discoverability platform for writers. So, my promise to uh, creative writers out there is that you don't have to know anybody in the industry, you don't have to be famous already, you don't have to have a giant social media following. If you're a good writer and you're trying to be successful in the publishing industry, you can come onto our platform, participate in the community, and find success. Okay. So so clearly there's some roadblocks in that industry with just being seen and being known. Is it? I mean, I don't know of any industry that's not, it's who you know right not what you know i mean but i would imagine that it's to a different level in the publishing world to just get to the top of someone's book stack to read your your created piece yeah the the publishing industry has a 99% rejection rate so christmas yeah so if if you're trying to get published and all you're doing is kind of sending you know sending your work into these publishers you're they're they're so inundated with with submissions that these editors and the agents uh, and the agents are kind of the go-betweens. N- none of them even have time to write you back a form rejection anymore. It's just we'll only write back if we're interested in your story. So for most writers, what you what ends up happening is you just get caught in this cycle where you're sending your stuff out, you're not hearing anything back, and then you either give up or you start over on that same you know exact path. And, and that was kind of the impetus for Ready Chapter One is we realized that for writers to be more successful, they needed critical feedback. But feedback is not scalable until we built this system. Um, so so I, what I mean by that is uh, if, you know, if, you're, if, you're, if you've written a manuscript and it's a 7 out of 10 manuscript, which is pretty good, it's still not good enough to get published. If mm. it's an eight and a half out of ten manuscript or a nine and a half out of ten manuscript, it's probably still not good enough to get published. But you don't know where your work is at unless you can get people to read it and give you feedback. So, is the, traditionally the only feedback that you're either getting is from from friends and family who are reading your stuff and your editor? Correct. If you get, if you can have an editor, if you can find one. Because uh, I mean, anybody can go out and hire an independent editor for five thousand bucks to you know to read their manuscript mm-hmm. for them. 
uh, but a lot of people don't have 5,000 bucks. Um, so the system that we created on Ready Chapter One is a peer review forum, uh, and we built some really cool data analytics features into it. So when writers come onto our platform, we're a give first community, which means that before you're allowed to post your work, you're gonna go and you're gonna read and review five other writers on the chapter that they posted. And so we're not just asking you to say, hey, I love this. We're asking you to comment on what you liked about it, what was confusing for you. And then we're asking you to review on a rubric uh, key elements of writing craft. So uh, voice, character development, plotting, pacing, tension, all those things that make a story sellable. And the way we set up our system is it then aggregates all of those scores into, into real numbers. So you can literally look at your score and say, oh, I got a you know four and a half out of five on voice, but a two on character development. My problem with this chapter is probably the characters. Hmm. So I would imagine that this would be a pretty big lift off of publishers and editors' shoulders as well. It should clear some of some of their lanes too. And that's yeah, that's our our longer term vision is to partner with publishers. So that essentially we can go to any publisher anywhere and say, hey, look, we have great data. And with better data, you're going to get better books. So tell us what kinds of stories you're looking for. And we can literally just go into our system, uh, click a few buttons, and identify the top performing stories in any category and say, all right, here are five stories that are ready to go in these categories that you need to add to your list. That's pretty incredible. Well, let's go ahead and take our first break, and we'll be right back. And you're back with Beyond Dollars and Cents, the Risk and Reward podcast with our guest, Fred Kaler. Um, so we were talking about Ready Chapter One, um, your newest endeavor to help uh, writers get into the business. Would that be an accurate statement? That is a, an extremely accurate statement. Really? Yes. Okay. Yes. Man, I feel pretty pretty good about myself now. Um, but I didn't really go into that statement feeling bad about myself. So we do have that. <laughs> So, so walk me through the process. Someone engages your services. They become a member online. What's their experience? Yeah, right now we're running like our we're calling it our launch party. So you know we just launched the platform. It is a freemium platform. So mm. uh, nobody's paying anything right now to come in and participate because it, we need really we need thousands and thousands of writers on there to create this engine. Uh, and this engine is essentially going to be the thing that sifts, you know, all the, the great stories to the top. So we're letting people on for free um, to participate. They can post their work, but it is tokenized. So again, before you're allowed to post, you're, you're going to create, uh, you know, you're going to create a, an account. Uh, you're going to go in and you're going to see the different categories that you can post in. So whether you write genre fiction for adults or you write kid stuff um, and we'll eventually have nonfiction categories as well. Um, but you find the category that you like, you go in, you review a few people, and then it, this little thing pops up and says, hey, you've now earned enough uh, to post your own work. So then you go and you post the first you know, uh, 10 pages of whatever story it is you're working on, and you get feedback from everyone else. So is it only excerpts or people reading the entire piece, or is it how much... Yeah, to, to keep writers safe and to keep their ideas safe, we are only doing a section at a time. And I forget exactly how many words it is, but it comes mm -hmm. down to about 10 pages. Um, and that's like, it, it would be a difficult, it would be a heavy lift to ask somebody to go read someone else's entire novel and give them feedback on it. <laughs> so we do a chapter at a time. 
And, and that really helps, you know, that helps a writer with specific chapters that they are struggling with. Um, I would say the first two or three chapters of anybody's story, those are the ones that you want like pitch perfect when you send it out on submission. So if it was me, I would go and polish and repeat with those first three chapters until everybody loved everything about the first three chapters. And then I'd go and find specific chapters later in my story that I knew needed work, that I knew weren't working. So whenever, let's say they've submitted portions of their first three chapters and it's going well, are they just picking and choosing? And then is there follow-up or any type of lines drawn from the previous first three chapters that that have been written so that people know what they're reading? Uh, well, yes. Yeah, so we do have, yeah, we ask you to uh, give a synopsis of where we're at in the story. And okay. that's, you know, so it could, that's like a little one paragraph introduction to where we're at in the story. So if I'm, if I'm reading, you know, your stuff for the very first time, I'm going to see, okay, we're in chapter 17 and the killer has just, you know, has just struck again. And now our hero is looking for clues in the basement. And if that's all, that should be all you really need to know to get into the story at that level. What if you're just a reading and a story fan and you have no desire to write a book, but they just want to come on and review things and, you know, potentially help authors create good pieces? Yeah. I mean, that's, we, we love, we love folks like that. Um, in fact, I was thinking of like hiring out children to come and like just to read on our platform, you know, it's like, I'll, I'll pay you three bucks oh. for a review or something like that. Um yeah, just to, just to find the people who love to read. So um, we had Bryant Black from LCS. He's the new head of school. And we asked him, you know, what is the one thing that you could be doing for your kids, you know, elementary age on that it's going to benefit them in school? He said, reading. Just read to them as much and as often as you possibly can. Engage them in reading. And I have to say one of my low-key irritants, you know, aggravations, I guess, is what we would say, um, is – picking up a really cool looking kid's book and the cover's nice and you get into the first couple pages and you're like, okay, I, I think I know where this goes. And then it just takes a left turn and it just doesn't land. It just is a dud. Yeah. It doesn't deliver on the promise of the premise. Yes. Yeah. Like it just is build up, build up, build up. And then just a massive letdown. And I feel so invest. I'm way more invested than my kids are, Yeah. but I feel like that happens with a lot of kids books. Well, and, and, you know that brings up a, a great um, a great segue, a great analogy, I guess. Uh, so I'm talking with uh, the owner of a small publishing company out of California. Um, this guy's trying to compete with the bigger companies, and he's and he's innovative, and he's using data analytics, and he's trying to get all this stuff figured out. So I, I take him on a test drive of Ready Chapter One, and I showed him the scoring rubrics and how we get these story scores for every writer and how we can aggregate those over time and figure out which stories are ready. And he's like, Fred, like this will let me compete mm. with the bigger publishers. One, it'll let him compete with the bigger publishers. And then uh, and then he also said that um, it will, let's see, what did he say? It, it would de-risk any property that he purchased because he knows that there's this entire readership and all this data behind it, which should help keep us from having books like the one that you just described, where it starts off great and then goes nowhere. So do you think part of the part of the issue of what I'm talking about with the children's book is that there's so much coming at the publishers right now. They've just got to take what they can't like the sifting through. It's difficult. Yeah. The, the sifting through is still a, is still the same methodology they did a hundred years ago. It's just with email now. So it's one, 
you know, one gatekeeper, or, or probably it starts with some interns who are reading, opening every submission, reading the first few things, you know, first couple of chapters, flagging what they think is good, and then, you know, and then passing it on to the editors. And, and what we're saying is, well, what if we have this entire pre-vetted, you know, uh, uh, set of, of IP that's available for license from these, you know, for these publishers, and, and we can back it all up with data. So <clears throat> someone submits their work and it gets a pretty decent score. What happens from there? Yeah, we're going to pay attention to that writer over the course of multiple things they submit. So we're we're not looking for you posted a great chapter 1 because there are a lot of great chapter 1s mm -hmm. out there. We're looking for we're looking for writers who consistently level up and who consistently can get those, you know, those higher scores uh, on their chapters. That's when we're going to reach out to those writers and and we're still figuring this part out. We're still figuring out what to do with them. And there's there's one business model whereby we offer them representation. So we say, hey, do you have an agent? Oh, you don't have an agent. Would you like Ready Chapter One to become your agent mm -hmm. and shop your story for you? There's another model by which we just do uh, some some matchmaking for them and say, hey, look, here's this publisher. They're looking for middle grade mysteries. You've got a middle grade mystery and you're you're knocking it out of the park. So let's make that connection for you. It it all depends on kind of where where the company goes. So, <clears throat> excuse me, if are are the, are your writers waiting for Ready Chapter One to engage them for that next step, or is there some? Are they using that for understanding their piece better and getting pro appropriate feedback, and then going through their own avenues? Right. Or is the, it all all of it? Yeah. Today, it's it's you know these writers are going through their own avenues. Here's here's my dream. Here's my vision. Mm -hmm. So you know how uh, any new movie that comes out, any new TV show that comes out. They put, uh, they slap their Rotten Tomatoes score on it yeah. or their IMDb. Yeah. And, you know, certified fresh, right? If I could get 10,000 writers start submitting their work with their Ready Chapter One story score attached to it, all of a sudden, every single publisher in the entire world is going to be like, what is a story score? And then that's going to come back to us and they're going to say, okay, Fred, we need to partner with you because uh, all of the best stuff has high story scores. Yeah. I, and I think, uh, you know, just having uh, already a set group that's reading that. So one of the questions I, I was thinking of was people staying genre-specific in that? I mean, is it kind of like whenever you open up Apple Music or Spotify or something like that, you're picking all the different types of music that you enjoy listening to? Is it one of those? Yeah, and, and because we're starting small, um, you know, we basically, we opened up our forums and we're like, look, we, we need you to review and read outside your genre, even, you know, even if, even if all you write is, you know, historical Western romance fantasy with dinosaurs, right. like, we, we, very need, specific. Yeah, <laughs> we need you to also, you know, read outside of that genre and critique outside of that genre. Once we hit a critical mass of, of writers, then I'm, I'm assuming even that genre that I can't repeat because I can't remember what I said, even right. that genre will have 500 writers in it, and so they'll be able to just review each other. Would you like for the genres to be represented to be that almost that specific? No, or, no. no. Um, I, I, I think, I mean, so as a writer, I learn from every single conference that I go to, every opportunity to learn. Like if I go to a romance writing conference, I'm mm -hmm. getting stuff out of it, even though I don't write romance. There's just, there's so much you can learn from reading other people's stuff. Wonderful. 
All right. Well, let's go ahead and take our next break, and we'll be right back. And we're back with the Risk and Reward podcast and our guest, Fred Kaler. Um, so what are what's some of the interesting data that you're culling out from Ready Chapter One? Ooh, yeah. So there's kind of the front-end data and the back-end data, and I'm excited about both. The, the front-end data is what that user gets. Mm-hmm. So this is this is really the value that comes to any writer anywhere by using the platform and it is it's it's sort of a audience score, a community aggregate score of uh, of what they felt about their voice, what they felt about their plot, what they felt about their characters and that is is really intended to help that writer know how to revise. So if all you're coming for is kudos um, then you better be really, really good. I mean, are they pretty in depth with the with the critiques, or at least the the constructive criticism? Is there rules on what you can write? Yeah. It, so we love to use the critique sandwich, uh, which is you know say something, say something positive. What was the best thing that you found about this you know passage? Make sure and include one constructive you know bit of criticism, something that will help them uh, improve the story. And then, you know, if you choose, also close it out with, you know, some encouragement. Like any writer anywhere, if you give them a critique sandwich and it's and it, it's good stuff in the middle, like it, it's just going to make their lives so much easier. I would imagine that this is – there, there is a little bit of duality. I, I can see 100% where this would be beneficial from a writing perspective to grow the writer. But at the same time, there's times whenever you create a piece – and I, I've, I've experienced in a very small, small, you know, area of writing my blog where the editor gets a hold of it and they're like, we can't use that. And I'm like, but that's like the piece, like that's the part that I love about the thing I created. Yes. Yeah. And, and every writer I know has a reasonably healthy ego. <laughs> and, and that's, I, that's part of the, that's part of the difference between being a novice and a, and a pro is, is learning to swallow that ego and, and see see it this way so whenever someone points out something that's wrong with your manuscript they're usually right they're Mm. usually right if they say there's something wrong with it if they tell you how to fix it they're usually wrong so you always want to look for that criticism that criticism is is a gold nugget for you as a writer to say oh okay I just I messed up, you know, how I introduced the character or I messed up, you know, like a, a critical plot point that I left out. That's what that's what you want to find in it. And then uh, it's sad, but, you know, the, the more you get into it, the, the more you just let the praise roll off your shoulders and you focus on on the critique. So you're saying hear the critique of how it doesn't make sense. Hey, this doesn't flow. It's choppy. But then how to fix it on the back end, you almost have to mute that because it takes away your voice. I mean, is that right? Yeah, it has to be you. It needs to be your solution to that criticism and not the not the other writer's solution or the reader's solution. That is brilliant. I mean, I, I, I mean, didn't come up with it, but but yeah. I can, can I ascribe it to you? Sure. Okay, perfect. <laughs> I'm going to go around telling people, hey, listen, Fred said this, and it's really, really smart. So yeah, so that's the front end data that uh, that all of these all of these writers get. On the back end, this is where it gets like super duper exciting. And and we're still working on our algorithms. But on the back end, we see things like um, how long people stay on a particular chapter's page. So how long did they spend reading it? You know, uh, we see 
um, correlation between uh, which stories got the highest scores with which you know reviewers are also giving other writers high scores. So we can almost like identify super reviewers within our system to know that if this person gave you a high score, we need to pay attention to because it. Because they know what they're talking about because, generally. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it it creates a different set of a different set of data that we're going to study in the end for when we reach out to these writers and either offer them representation or offer to connect them, you know, to agents and editors. So I would imagine that that would work in the reverse as well if you had someone that was critiquing and they they weren't really spotting the good fruit within the within it. So does that make sense? Yeah. Like, I don't know how to, uh, you know, I don't know how to really explain that. Um, so question, because that's what a podcast does is we just ask a lot of questions. Um, how does, what are some of the barriers that you see, you know, we, we've talked about bringing the pieces of work to the top of the publishers, but what are some other areas that you see Ready Chapter One really pushing down for potential writers? Yeah. So the other side of that coin, and and I, I I like to I like to couch it this way: that if you think of any creative industry, if you grow to the top one percent of your craft, and you grow to the top one percent of your network, so if you're the best at what you do and everybody knows who you are, mm -hmm. what are your chances of success? Yeah, very significant. High. Yeah. Right. So so the the peer critique forum on on Ready Chapter One um, that really addresses those gaps in your network. So we can use that system to help identify top talent and create bridges over into uh, the publishing industry. The other side of the coin then is your craft, so your education. So if you're getting consistent twos and threes on your, on your story scores and you want to become a better writer, that's where Ready Chapter One has a paid side of the platform and we offer a, a complete, uh, we call it Total Story Accelerator, which is a complete series of master classes on every single element of writing craft that you would need to be able to land a book deal. Is one of your hopes to bring in other writers who have seen success to help with those master classes or mentorship? Yeah, yeah. So we we did. We started with um, you know within my community of writers. So so I pulled in you know some of my best writing friends to help teach those master classes, uh, and and I pulled in Janice Hardy of Fiction University. Um, to help create the entire curriculum. So we've got 270 pages of curriculum with like dozens and dozens of worksheets uh, and, you know, 20, 25 hours of video content. That's, that's all part of this masterclass series. In an awesome world, we'll eventually get to invite, you know, Neil Gaiman, Stephen King, J.K. Rowling to come, <clears throat> pardon me, to come on and teach uh, you know, one of the classes, and then I'll just start to uh, sunset the ones where it's me as the talking head. Where do you see people usually, where are they at in their process before they engage Ready Chapter One? So a, a couple of different places. We've got a lot of brand new writers who have written for the first time, and, and I love, um, I'll, I'll call out Josh, because Josh was actually a, a cohort with me at Catapult. So he was he's a, a software developer, and he's awesome. And he texted me and he said, Fred, I want to I want to enter into your writing contest, but I'm scared that nobody's going to like it. <laughs> well, I, I encouraged him. I'm like, just do it. He's like, yeah, but I've never had anyone ever read my writing before. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. So Josh enters 
he wins second place. No way. You know, and and so for him, this is the biggest boost of confidence that he's ever, like, he's just like, oh, I actually have something. Now he's realizing that he still needs to elevate his craft in, in certain areas. So his voice is, na he's naturally gifted at voice, but he needs character development. He needs story structure, like some of those other things. But he's got this boost of confidence, and it's a dopamine hit, like like oh, it's yeah. nobody's business. When when you get that kind of good feedback. So what if, what if someone's flirting around with the idea of wanting to write a book or short story or something like that, just to kind of get into the writing game? What would be the next steps, or what would you say you should pursue this? Think about this. Yeah. So I I typically have uh, I give people an author goal sheet. And on that goal sheet, it's got like check boxes. And it's like, look, do you want one copy of your book in your hot little hands to leave behind as, you know, a as a, a memory for your family? If so, then, you know, these are the steps that you could take. If your goal is to get one single book published and then go on about your life, then these steps you can take. If your goal is to work as a career writer and continue to write stories and work in the publishing industry, for the rest of your life, then these are, you know, there's a different set of steps that you need to take. So it, it does, you know, just like investing, it comes down to your goals. Yeah. So wh where do you see most writers falling or that do you think that they're, they are saying, I want to just get my idea out and get it published, or I just want to be a published author and be able to have that. Yeah. The, so independent publishing, we used to call it self-publishing. Now we call it indie publishing, you know, has, has created so many more avenues for people to easily and quickly get a book kind of out there and published. And, and that's where most people kind of start, at least today, is they have their sights set on, I'm going to self-publish my book. And the, the question I always bring to them is, well, what if it was good enough for a traditional publishing deal where mm. they gave you money instead of you giving them money? Yeah. And, and that tends to open up some eyes. That is really – so it, it almost seems to me sometimes – because I've, I've flirted with the idea of writing a book, but it almost seems like, is this uh, a marathon goal? Like, I want to run a marathon just to say I, I did it, you know, versus getting your ideas out there, getting them published, and then sharing them with with the world. Exactly. That's just it? Yep. That's it. That's you it. said it. Yeah. <laughs> what, what can I add to that? Yes. <laughs> Fantastic. Well, on that note, let's go ahead and take our last break, and we'll be right back. And we're back with Risk and Reward and our guest, Fred Kaler. Um, so writing a book is clearly a lot of work, right? So, I mean, that's probably, I would imagine that would be an, uh, uh, an inertia point, right? A, a lack of inertia just to get, get over that hump of actually committing the work to writing a book. It is. And, and so many people, so many people get hung up on, on that particular point. And, and a lot of people also get hung up on the, you know, on the idea that um, the fact that they put in that work and finished means that it's deserving of a publishing deal. And, and so there's, you know, there's uh, th both sides of that coin are wrong, mm -hmm. <laughs> unfortunately. Um, you know, I have never been, well, no, 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 I'll take that back. I was fortunate enough for probably a two year stretch to where all I had to do was work on books. And that was a marvelous two-year stretch. But at the end of it, I was broke. Um, and, <laughs> and so, you know, I've kind of always had to have a day job and making books. 
And so books happen at 5 a.m. and 5 p.m. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so I would I would literally get myself out of bed at 4.30, drive to a McDonald's, sit there at McDonald's from, you know, 5 until, you know, 7, getting the story written, and then go into my day job. And if you don't have that kind of discipline, um, then, you know, you're, you're probably never going to finish. Mm. Yeah, and so what happens to the point, too, whenever you are coming to a close, whenever you say, okay, this is a finished work? I mean, that's a pretty humiliating, you know, humbling, not humiliating, but a humbling thing. And I've even, we've had other writers on the podcast before, and that seemed to be a continued catching point of saying, I'm okay with this, and I'm comfortable with this being completed. Yeah, and that's where that's where the submissions process really comes into play. So, you know, submissions is is uh, product market fit. It's mm-hmm. it's taking your product and seeing if anyone will buy it. And um, so, a, a writer that I would say you know who is newer at it is going to take their product to market. They're going to find that it's not ready. It's not selling in the state that it's in. And then they're going to go and revise and revise and revise, and they're going to spend 10 years revising the same product where uh, I might suggest that a, you know, a more experienced uh, writer is going to test the market, see that it's not a good fit today for whatever reason, and then they're going to put that product on the shelf and start on a new one. Wow. I mean, that, that would be pretty daunting to do that, right, just to hand it back in and... Yeah, Start over. but I'll give you, so case in point, I had, uh, I had a story that went out on submission uh, just before the pandemic, and it got really, really close with uh, probably three different editors, and they loved the voice, and they loved the characters, and it, it, had, some, uh, it had some weird stuff going on with uh, the structure that I chose for it. Um, I broke some rules uh, that, you know, traditional publishers don't like it if you break mm. unless you're famous. Um, and since I'm not famous, uh, you know, they were like, well, Fred, you're not allowed to break those rules. And, and so it didn't sell and it went back. So it went back on my shelf for the last three years. Well, I dusted it back off and sent it to my new agents and my new agents like, oh my goodness, this is the best thing ever. We're going to sell it as soon as the new year. Unchanged. Uh, no, no massive changes, massive changes. But it would, it took that couple of years on the shelf for me to step far enough away from it that I could see it with fresh eyes, that I could take those editors' rejection, their, the, the data from their rejections, and say, you know what, I, I see what she's saying now. I see what they're saying now. So I'm going to clean this up. I'm going to change this. I'm going to condense this. And it's going to flow more like the kind of story that they're expecting. And, but the difference is, the first time it went out, my agent was lukewarm on it and was like, hey, it's okay. Like, I, we, maybe we can sell it. Now, when my agent sees it, it's all caps, I'm in love. And that's what you really want for your stories. Wow. And that makes sense because, I mean, I feel like we've all probably experienced a problem where you you have this issue that you're of, of something that you're working on, and you're like, I'm just going to go to bed, right? Late at night, like, I'm just going to go to bed. And then you wake up, and it just kind of fits right back into place. I mean, that's a much more condensed time period. Yeah. And you think about how long it takes to break a bad habit, you know, and it's it, you think about your story as a bad habit. And it's like, well, I spent, you know, 12 months working on it. Uh, I might need 12 months away from it before I'm really ready to, you know, see it with the right eyes. That's really interesting. Like creating boundaries with your own work 
and stopping cycles that you get in your own head. Yeah, and you know the the most successful writers I know they are all idea factories. So everywhere they go, there's an idea. Everything is a game that that could be a story idea. Anytime mm. you see something weird in the street, you know um, I love to tell the story of of John Mayberry. He's a horror writer. Um, you know he he recounts how he saw a pair of crunched sunglasses in the street and he was I think he was with his wife and they just said what's the story there so they just start bouncing back and forth of what how could those crunched sunglasses have gotten into the street and he comes up with this crazy yarn about them seeing into another dimension and he calls up his agent and he's like hey what do you think about this and the agent's like great and the agent calls up an editor and the editor's like we'll buy it sight unseen and so you know he sold a story idea off of you know seeing something weird in the street and that's like that is the true writer's spirit is just to be curious all the time. So how often do you do that? How often do you just walk down the street and say, "Oh man, th- this is probably that person's story there. I don't know him." Yeah, yeah, I've had seven story ideas about you since I walked into the room. Really? Yes. Hopefully they're all good. They end well. No. no. <laughs> <laughs> you you only survive one of them. Okay, perfect. That sounds about right. That sounds about right. So how can, I think the written word is clearly very important. So, you know, how can we engage our children to fall in love with writing or reading more? I, I think we have to tell stories that matter. And, and that is, you know, that's one of like the key, the key things that I teach um, at Ready Chapter One is that a story that matters ends up being at the intersection of, of what's in your head and what's in your heart. Mm. And whenever we can take, you know, key themes that have just come up over and over again in our lives, for me, that's, that's like family, that's poverty, that's justice. Those, those themes, mm-hmm. if I can weave that around a story that also intersects with what I know deeply, mm. so what's in my head, you know, I, I, I'm a third-generation fisherman, so I know the ocean. So when I tell an ocean story about family and poverty, it means everything to me mm. to tell that story. And when kids pick up my stories that are like that, then they, they know. They know that this is something meaningful and that it matters. And if we can all learn to tell stories that matter, then uh, kids are going to be far more engaged. I mean, I just think over through history, and I think we were created to hear stories and they're so vital and they're so important and that's the way we communicate with each other. So we end the podcast with two questions every single time, same two questions. I want to adjust one of yours a little okay. bit. So I normally say, what are you currently reading or listening to? Which, well, let's go ahead and be honest. You just got to say what you're reading, <laughs> but I also want you to tell us what, you know, top of mind, favorite-ish book. So it doesn't have to be, I don't want you to regret it and be like, no, no, it probably is this book. But what your go-to, like your favorite book and then what you're reading right now. Yeah. So uh, right now I'm I'm listening to a lot more audiobooks uh, than I used to. Okay. Um, so I, I do love, uh, I do love to read. And so if I'm, if I'm honest about what I'm reading, it's uh, the old Star Wars novels, the ones that I never read as a kid from the Legends series. Um, and then, nice. yeah, yeah. So it's the continuing saga of Luke and Leia, you know, and all that sort yeah. of stuff. Um, uh, but I'm listening to, um, uh, Rick Riordan's latest Percy Jackson, uh, book, Chalice of the Gods. It's mythology. Yeah. And, yeah. So I, I love those stories as well. Um, yeah. But if I, if I'm talking about favorites, uh, 
you know, I grew up when I read C.S. Lewis for the first time as a, as a fiction writer. I thought to myself, wow, like there are doors into other worlds. I wonder if I can find them. And, and so I was always in love with him. And as I grew, um, I started to read, you know, as I grew up and, and got older, I started to read his, you know, his nonfiction as well. And I thought, wow, here's a thinker that, who thinks like I do, who, who, is, who questions everything and loves everyone. And that, like, that's amazing. That's cool. What are, where are you most encouraged by, uh, where are you most encouraged by the world around you or your work? You know, being here in, in Lakeland, Florida, we have this entrepreneurial vibe going right now. I think, you know, we're in a little bit of a renaissance. We've got startups left and right. I'm surrounded by people who encourage me and give me great advice about, you know, how to find um, advisors and investors for my company. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just, yeah, it's been, it's been really great to be here in Lakeland. Well, I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. How can people reach out? And get a hold of Ready Chapter One. Yeah, find us at readychapter1.com, and that's with the numeral one. So readychapter1.com. Awesome. Well, thank you again for uh, joining us today on the Risk and Reward Podcast. My name is Holland Henderson, financial advisor with Allen & Company. Go to our website at alleninvestments.com, and have a great day. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult with an appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. Guests appearing on the show and their respective companies are not affiliated with LPL Financial and Allen & Company. Investment advisory services offered through Allen & Company of Florida, LLC, Allen & Co., and its affiliate LPL Financial, LLC, LPL, Registered Investment Advisors. Securities offered through LPL, member FINRA, SIPC.